And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Taylor Payne. This is Pod on the Time, the Athletic's Newcastle United podcasts. Podcasts? Fuck off. Hello, I'm Taylor Payne and this is Pod on the Time, the Athletics Newcastle United podcast. Fasten your seatbelts, it could be a bumpy ride. I'm joined by Chris Woff and George Corgan. How are you, Chris? You alright? I'm not too bad, thank you. Yes, I've just about... No, I'm actually, no, I'll be lying. I still can't compute what happened on Saturday. George no. certainly can't compute what happened no. on Saturday. I mean, he's still struggling to compute what happened during the 6-1 against uh, uh, Spurs and who scored all those goals. So he definitely doesn't <laughs> know what happened on Saturday when he was back to old-school journalism having to file during the match and it was it was, it was was very bumpy, wasn't it, George? Yeah, I didn't enjoy it at all, actually, having to pay attention to what was happening. Um <laughs> Because it's not your jam, is it? That's really not my jam. Because I also had no idea what was happening. Because it was one, it was absolutely crazy. The only thing that game lacked was the goalkeeper running upfield and elbow dropping Newcastle United centre forward in the head. And I feel a bit like Steve Harper has elbowed me in the head after watching that. I mean, it was just insanity, wasn't it? Absolute insanity. It was ridiculous. I, I said on Twitter just after the game, what an, what an absolutely monumentally stupid game of football that was, and that's exactly how it felt. It, it, it didn't make any sense whatsoever, did it? It was just ridiculous. It's one of those funny things, I think, for us. it's I was like getting messages from a mate saying, oh, God, that, that, this is an incredible game. What an incredible game this is. It must be absolutely fantastic. And he's, like, he's listening to Radio 5 live, and, of course, they're saying on Radio 5 what a fantastic game of football it is. From yeah. where we were sitting, it's like... Oh my god, this is like you've got all those peaks and troughs of sort of adrenaline. Yeah. But it's, this is disastrous. This is disa- Oh my god, no. Oh my, you know, it's like I mean, obviously as fans you don't sort of take a step back and sort of consider the other team. But um yeah, Luton were decent, but it was like was that a good game? Was it a bad game? Was it a terrible? I think it was got no idea. It was a bit of everything. It was a bit Absolutely of everything. Absolutely no idea. It? Still haven't figured it out. Right, chaps, let's get into it. Saturday's game saw the hat as at St James's Park, so it was perhaps appropriate that the game was completely and utterly mad. into the corner, kept in by Trippier, low cross, arriving into the bottom corner, brilliant goal, finished off by Sean Longstaff. Dan Abeo, Bottman with a challenge from behind, free kick, and Morris with a header, and then Osho off the bar and in, Luton have equalised, the free kick worked a treat. Alfie Doughty, Dubravka with a save, Barkley with a tap in, and 
it is a second equaliser of the afternoon. Newcastle couldn't stop the run from Barkley, rolling Doughty, and eventually it came. going to the monitor and off. It's just says penalty. He doesn't go to the monitor. And Thomas Brammel makes the VAR signal and says penalty. Here's Morris. Same result. Same penalty. And Dubravka dived to his right. And Luton, having been 1-0 and 2-1 down, now lead Newcastle United by three goals to two. Adebayo in the middle. Bayo in the middle, Bell going on the outside, Sparkly edge of the area, and a Bayo into the bottom corner, Luton, two goals clear, Bruno with a cross, turned in, Trippier, challenge for Luton wins it back, and Miley, great win, here's Harvey Barnes, Harvey Barnes, hit it, yes! Well, there you go. Get your head around that. And Chris, the weirdness started at the pre-match press conference, didn't it? It certainly did, yes, because uh, as I arrived at Newcastle United's training ground on Friday for the pre-match press conference, we were greeted with a message to say that Eddie Howe was a bit under the weather and instead coming into the tr- into the training ground was going to be the mahogany god. <laughs> Jason Mad Dog Tyndall was given half an hour's notice that he was going to have to be there. I mean, it was, a, it was a little bit odd because Eddie Howe was deemed fit enough to take training and the match, although he did afterwards sound pretty ill. He didn't sound great. I mean, he has been ill for quite a while. But yeah, so we had Jason Mad Dog Tyndall, which was a good opportunity for us to actually ask him, A, about that, but B, about just winding up opposition managers yeah. being the sort of most visible number two in the Premier League. There aren't really any other assistant managers. Maybe he's in world football, you could say, who are as visible as Jason Tyndall, his, his touchline antics. I asked him about the rule change, which was brought in in the summer, and basically, was that to do with him? I asked him, mentioned Jurgen Klopp, and it seemed, it looked to me as he ruled his eyes when I said Jurgen Klopp. I don't know for yeah. certain, but it certainly looked like it at that stage. Oh, and he basically said, yes, yes, it was introduced <laughs> for us. And then he, he became very, very influencer-esque and started talking about how I can only be me, I'll continue to be me going forward. So yes, that <laughs> Was a, that was an interesting uh, preview to can the match I, from Jason Tindall. Can I just clarify something? Was he rolling his eyes at mention of Jurgen Klopp, or was he rolling his eyes <laughs> at you asking him a stupid question, a bit like his gaffer does? Well, yeah, maybe that, maybe that was the maybe beforehand the sort of briefing he was given was when Chris Woff asks a question, make sure that you just show complete disdain as I do. Yeah. That's it. Excellent. Yeah. Do you think he took much persuading to jump in? Or do you think it was, right, listen, Jason, Eddie's not feeling well. I'll do it. I'll do it. Whatever it is, I'll do it. I'm in. I mean, the Newcastle United <laughs> photographer, Serena, came to take to get photographs, which I'm sure he probably, I'm sure Tyndall was, was involved in asking. But actually for the first five minutes, you could see 
he was a bit taken aback, Tyndall, mm. and he was he didn't know he was going to do it because he was very, very quiet. I could barely hear him. He was sat quite far back from the microphone. I mean, the room's tiny. It's not even a proper press conference room, but I could barely hear him for those first five minutes. So he took a little bit of time to warm up because I don't think he was expecting it. So yes, there is that element of where you think, yes, he'd love to be in the limelight, but I don't actually think, certainly for the for the first few minutes of it, he was, he was particularly enjoying the experience, but I think he grew into it. Fair enough. Well, with that in mind, let's actually hear from Eddie Howe uh, on the game. Lots of good, lots of bad, um, really mixed. The way we started the game, I thought this could be a, a really memorable game for us. The credit to Luton, they responded really well and made it difficult for us. And I thought it was a, a very open game, two teams going right at each other. Probably a great game for the neutral, not, not so much, I think, if you're associated to us, because I think there's a, a huge determination to win today and we're disappointed not to. Okay then, chaps, so to try and impose some order on that chaos, we're going to split the day into two categories, good and bad, and we'll chalk them off as we go. Uh, Shall we start with the good news or the bad news, George? What do we think? Oh, well, Misery used to be my middle name, but now I'm the beacon of positivity on this podcast, as we know. So let's start with a bit of good. Let's go with good then, yeah. So, George, you're... Just to clarify, are we doing four points for each, though? Because you know it is fours each. Is that what we've gone for? Is that, is that what we're going Yeah. That looks like that's what we've done, Chris, yes. Yeah, yes. four. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just, I was just trying to explain why we've gone for a new format today to actually explain that there are going to be four points for each because it was a 4-4, four, four, and obviously there's negatives from that, but obviously there's positives too, or we, at least we're going to try and find them. Yes. It's not like you to be absolutely pedantic and spoil the flow of the podcast. Yeah, definitely not. No. Anyway, yeah, that's that's what we're doing. Yes. Uh, so George's local hero prediction from our last pod was looking good at half time, wasn't it, George? Sean Longstaff absolutely red hot in front of goal at the minute. Well, it has been a transformative season for Sean in terms of goal scoring. So I think I'm right in saying that he'd scored eight times for Newcastle before this season and has already got six goals this season. So four in the Premier League now, one in the Champions League, one in the FA Cup. It's been the part of his game that has been missing. I think he's, he said that himself when I interviewed him last season. He talked about adding more goals and assists from midfield. And hopefully when I do that, it will elevate my game again. It has done this season. It's been really important. It's been very important, particularly when Newcastle haven't had strikers regularly fit and available or enough strikers regularly fit and available. He still does miss too many chances, I think. But yeah, I mean, and for both of those goals against Luton, he was like in the right place at the right time, driving yeah. forward from midfield, stretching for the ball, exactly what you'd want from a midfield player. He certainly didn't have the perfect game because there was the moment when Ross Bartley sped away from him and Luton got their second goal. But in those terms, it's absolutely been something that Sean's had to do and he's done it. And yeah, they were great moments. That first goal in particular, uh, Chris, we've got to say well done to Lewis Miley for that wonderful curl pass out wide and the lovely ball in by Kieran Trippier. And Sean arriving late into the box, kind of blindsiding everybody and, and putting it away. It was a tidy finish, but I think overall it was a lovely goal, wasn't it? It was, and that was in the seventh minute of the match. And as I tweeted out at the time, that's the exact start Newcastle needed mm. to really kick on in this game, which definitely <laughs> happened. But yeah, Miley has it in the, in the middle of the pitch. He then curls a lovely pass out to Trippier, who takes a touch, is forced right onto the byline with it. But then he, he, he waits almost a second to see who is around him and then pulls the ball back for, for, for a late arriving Sean Longstaff to, to put it in. And that was Kieran Trippier's ninth Premier League assist of the season. He is top of the charts for Premier League assists. This is 10 in all competitions it was also the first match in I believe his league his top flight league history that he has scored and assisted 
in a game. So that still shows when, when George made all the points last week about why Kieran Trippier is so vital. There are, there are so many reasons beyond that, but also in an attacking sense, he is still very, very important for Newcastle. And, and yet again, certainly at St. James's Park, you saw there what he can do. And it, it was, I think, his calmness, because it looks like it, it was just a cross along the floor. It was almost like a pass in the box. And in some ways, it doesn't look particularly glamorous, given the, the pass that came before from Miley, which was brilliant. But I think to have the calmness and composure to wait and then pick out that pass, that's what impressed me about Trippier. Pinpoint, and that's why it? he is still so vital for them. Brilliant. Yeah. Really nice. uh, George Bruno Gimaraes was at it again, wasn't he? A magnificent assist for Trip. No, 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 no. Let's let's do them alternately, like good and then a bad. Are we doing it that way? Are we? Because we didn't. Maybe we should do it in the terms of the way the scoring went. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Just make it really convoluted. Not not one for needlessly overcomplicating things. For right. Me. So Chris spoiled this a bit earlier by having to explain. Not it's all right for you. It's it's all right for you to spoil it by explaining, but not me. Yeah, because I just thought of this. I think this is a great idea. So we're gonna. So so now we've we've Sean Longstaff. Okay. So now Newcastle one up. So now we have to do a bad. We have to do a bad. All right. Okay. To to sort of represent the equaliser. Does that make sense? All right. Then uh, let's let's go with the bad one. Then Newcastle's defensive record. Uh, Chris. It's not great at the minute, is it? We're shipping lots of goals. The sh- Newcastle are shipping a heck of shitting, a lot of goals. And Newcastle are shitting part. a lot shitting, of goals. Shitting. <laughs> the injury situation is one thing, but but Newcastle are also shitting, shitting a load of goals. goals. I mean, that is yeah, that I kind am. of is what they're doing. I mean, let's be let's be brutal about it. So. I, I am still befuddled. So <laughs> from, like, yeah. from the weekend, and that's clearly affected. Befuddled, yes. you're befuddled, and then about yeah. the injury situation, about Newcastle shitting goals. Uh, yes, but anyway, so. Having been excellent at St. James's Park, both in terms of results, Newcastle were also excellent at St. James's Park until Christmas in terms of their defensive records. So there were nine matches at St. James's Park in the Premier League played before Boxing Day, and Newcastle kept six clean sheets, only conceded four goals across those matches. And I'm still giggling at befuckled. <laughs> Come on, befuckled was good, wasn't it? That was that was quite good. Can we all not just have a bit of a laugh about the fuckled? Come on. I should get some credit for that. I'm not giving you any credit whatsoever. Just stop talking. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so 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 at that point, Newcastle, excellent defensively. And at, at St. James Park, we said they'd only lost, they'd won eight of their first nine Premier League matches there, only lost to Liverpool. That was really where all of their positive form was coming from because their waveform was so bad. And yet, in the course of the last... 10 days it isn't exactly as it's flipped because they've only won once in the Premier League away from home albeit brilliantly at Aston Villa but they've won three straight away matches in all competitions mm-hmm. two of which were at Premier League sides and they've lost the last three in the Premier League during which they've conceded 10 goals the same number as they've conceded in the 16 Premier League matches at St James's Park before that yeah. uh, it's gone up from conceding 0.4 goals at St James's Park per game pre-Christmas to in the three since they've conceded 3.3 now I will caveat that by saying one of those matches was against Manchester City and Newcastle actually played well in it and it's Manchester City so a third of that actual bit the, the, the thing that I'm picking it from there is against the, the, the treble winners but still two of those matches have also been against re- relegation threatened Luton Town and Nottingham Forest and Newcastle are just they just look far too open now as we're going to come on to more going on but this first goal was a set piece it was Ross Barkley whips the ball in the box headed back across, and then it, it, it's headed over Martin Dubravka. And, and that is that is just, Newcastle can't keep clean sheets at St. James's Park now, all of a sudden, having been so good at defending at St. James's Park. It was a James's proper schoolboy error on that first goal as well, because 
Morris is at the back post in an offside position, completely on his own, standing. Nobody picks him up, nobody sees him. And he all he does is, just as the kick is about to be taken, is he walks back out of the box, he stands off the back of Kieran Trippier's shoulder, and nobody goes with him. He's now in an onside position, the ball comes in, he runs in and wins the header. And yeah, their nobody, massive centre-forward has just stood How anyone missed him, I've got no idea. The bloke looks like he was designed in Minecraft. He's absolutely enormous. How they missed him, I've got no idea. But he, he has... All the time in the world to pick his run, to make connection with the ball. And it it, it, it was a shit mistake. It was, it was really poor, I thought. Really bad. I'm not sure that this is the right place in terms of the game to mention this. But you also do have to sort of say that by the end, that game was just chaos. It was just chaos on acid. And, you know, that can happen. You know, we're like, we have to write stuff and then we have to talk about it a few days later. By which time you can sort of be very analytical and... And uh, you know, look at the mistakes that have led to the goal. But by you know, by by the second half in this game, it was just chaos, and the chaos yeah. just ran away with itself. And you can you know, Newcastle want to be a controlled team and exert their control at the right time, and da da da. But you know, you do have to sort of say that sometimes chaos happens, and sit back and sort of say that was a mess, and it and it and it was. But no, you're right. I mean, particularly at that point, just got one nil up as well. You want to um, kind of keep control of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and clear heads and know exactly what you're doing. Come on, you Maggies. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, let's uh, flip back across to the positive, shall we? Bruno Gimaraes, Chris, he was at it again, wasn't he? Magnificent assist for Trippier's goal. Um, when he repeated the trick later on, Fabian Scheer and Jacob Murphy were agonisingly hesitant on the line. Love Bruno playing like that, bit between his teeth, taking people on, going for it, trying to make something happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit confused now because of George's attempt to make this flip from one to the other because the scoreline is 1-1, but suddenly he's become 4-3. <laughs> okay, you just need to... Chris, you just have to have a little bit of imagination. So, right, so the score has gone from 1-0 to Newcastle. That was our Sean Longstaff point. He also scored the goal, okay. So then it went to one all. Then it went to one all, right, in the scoreline of the game. And we've talked about Newcastle's defensive record. Now it goes to 2-1 to Newcastle, right? Now Sean Longstaff scores the goal. You don't need to describe that. Don't worry. Don't worry your little pretty little head about that. So we're doing another positive point to reflect the scoreline. And that was about Bruno's involvement in those goals in those moments okay right well to take you forward in time before we reverse in time what? the, the scoreline at the minute is 4-2 this is how you Christopher Nolan uh, film because this is my edit because he, he can't <laughs> what is but, that, that how do you how do you want me to describe Bruno Gimaraes' impact when really I thought for most of the game he wasn't really in the game until Newcastle were 4-2 oh, down here, and here then comes he, he does Chris. Sort of... here comes Chris with his befuckled little mind turning a positive into a negative you're supposed to be right. You're supposed to be answering a positive about Bruno. Right. That so makes the score, the score right, two right, one. Just stop talking. Right. The score. The don't score don't is, worry about the score line. <laughs> the score is four two to Luton. Oh my god. <laughs> Chris, never mind the score. Just talk about Bruno Gimaraes. Right. So Bruno Gimaraes. I'll be honest. 
my my verdict on his performance was I certainly thought first half I don't think he controlled the game in the way that he can and the way that he probably should for large spells when Newcastle were 4-2 down I thought he really he was the one who grabbed it by the scruff of the neck and got Newcastle back into it the the cross for Trippier's goal was sublime he's on the left hand edge of the box outside of the right foot crosses it through to the back for, for a late arriving trip here to, to hit across the keeper with his left foot in, into the into the bottom left-hand corner. He had another couple of crosses, one of which Fabian Scher and Jacob Murphy were agonisingly well, hesitant. They didn't quite get there for it, and M- Murphy eventually got to the back post. That was at fours yeah. each. That was the one real chance Newcastle had to try and win it. But that, that is what Bruno Gimraes can do when he's on top form. The frustration for me was for large part, certainly the first half, and I think we've seen this in other games, and this maybe isn't just a Bruno Gimraes point. This is maybe yeah. the midfield balance point wasn't quite there. And when Bruno doesn't certainly doesn't have Joe Linton, but even when he doesn't have the legs of Joe Willock alongside him at the minute, as well as uh, Lewis Miley's done it at certain points, as well as Sean Longstaff did by scoring two goals, I just think the three of them don't blend as nicely. Howe hinted at it afterwards without actually saying that he didn't think the blend worked. He, he described the balance as being different, the blend as being different, and it is. But I just think that it, it, you ha- they're, they're too samey to have Longstaff and Miley either side of Bruno Gimraes, who doesn't get around the pitch as much, and that probably negatively affects the influence that Bruno can have when he actually has the ball, because he doesn't get as much. Thanks for that, Chris. That was supposed to be a positive, uh, which you flipped on its arse, basically, and turned it into a negative. Well you're done. very welcome. That's why you're coming to me. Impressive. Chris is not happy with this concept that we're doing for this. Anyway, so it has to go from 2-1 to 2-2 now in terms of negatives. Uh, Dan Byrne then, George. Uh, let's have a chat about him and some more madness. He was exposed by Ogbeni's pace, wasn't he? Uh, but some of the calls for Livramento go further than that. The idea that players like Dan and their selection is holding us back as a team, uh, it's as bonkers as anything we're going to do discussed today isn't it yeah I mean we have to say that he had a really tough day and um probably needed to be substituted and you know there's that Chris has kind of written very well about the sort of tactical reasons why Dan Byrne is so important to the team so Trippier has license to go forward when he does that Newcastle very often revert to three at the back and he shuffles that kind of formation and he shuffles in his height and physicality and power very very important on those days when uh, he's up against a pacey winger, there can be difficulties. Now, we saw like last season at Arsenal, it was a nil-nil draw, wasn't it? And um, in the first five, five, ten minutes, Saka goes past him a couple of times and you're thinking, oh, dear, dear, this is going to be tough. By the end of the match, I'm not going to say that Dan had Saka in his pocket, but Saka as a threat had largely been negated. And that was because Newcastle had found a way to sort of deal with that. Now, it wasn't just about Dan, it was about the protection elsewhere that the team gives gives each, each other. You know, football isn't a game about 11 individual positions. It's about partnerships and things like that. Now, they just never solved that problem on Saturday. Yeah. And... And I think that was the that was the problem. Personally, I didn't like the chance for Tino to come on. Brilliant though Tino has, has been for the team when he's played. And... Um, yeah, I certainly didn't sort of like... I don't... I mean, people can say, absolutely say what they like and have their own opinions and that's fine. I think my sort of response has always been, you know, just as a fan, is that I want to defend players who go through tough times. I mean, I think that's just how I am. But there's no... You know, there's absolutely no doubt that it was the right call to take him off, I think, in those circumstances and bring on pace to to combat him. One of the kind of... Definite, so one of the things I just want to kind of like briefly touch on, I, I tweeted... Later on in the evening, because I was at the Alan Shearer Foundation Ball, and Dan was there too. As it turned out, he was on my table. I didn't know that was going to be uh, be the case, and I just sort of 
tweeted that um you know down straight from going from St James's Park uh he turned up at the do which raises you know a, a ton of money for Alan's amazing foundation and I think it raised 200 grand or something on the night and uh he didn't hide away and I wasn't trying to say that Dan Byrne is a living saint and I certainly wasn't trying to say that he doesn't you know, there's not an argument for resting him or dropping him or substituting him or anything like that. The only point I was trying to say was that Newcastle now have a team of players who don't hide away when things don't go well for them yeah. and they stand up. And so, and that was really based on the fact that I said hello to Dan and how are you doing? And he sort of said, oh, you know, that's football. It can go that way. He said, you know, what he wanted to be doing was going home and feeling sorry for himself and hiding away, but he'd given a commitment to Alan to go. Alan absolutely took the piss out of him on the stage, poor lad, and sort of said, has anyone seen Dan Byrne? Because um, we certainly didn't see him at three o'clock uh, today, blah, blah, blah. He took, it in, took, took him in really good part. Yeah. So I really wasn't trying to make a sort of tactical point about Dan and saying that people can't ever be criticised, because of course they can. I'm just saying I really like the fact that Newcastle have players who will take responsibility and will, you know, do commitments like that. So anyway, that was all. The Dan Byrne at left-back debate is something which I think over the course of the last few weeks, either side of the positive results when Newcastle have had some negative results, has, has really flared up again. And part of it is because how Tino, how Tino Livermento has performed when he's coming at the side. The weird thing about that is that Tino Livermento was not signed as a left-back. Yep. Dan Byrne is actually not a left-back. He's a, he's a centre-back playing a left-back. <laughs> the left-back Newcastle signed in Lewis Hall basically can't get on the pitch at the minute, and then obviously Matt Target is injured. So that's the first point I raise. The second one is, from the very f- the first five minutes, it was clear Ogbeni had the beating of Dan Byrne for pace, and he was left yeah. regularly one-on-one with him and didn't deal with it particularly well. What I found strange was that there was no attempt, or at least it didn't seem to be an attempt, if Byrne was going to stay on the pitch to try and cover him, it didn't seem like he was getting that much cover for Miguel Almiron and Lewis Maddy. That's not necessarily to have a go at them. I'm sure that was to do with the system and the way that Newcastle were trying to press. But it's weird to leave... If if Seemingly now, at the moment, if you have a, a pacey right winger and you isolate Dan Byrne at left-back, he's going to have problems, as you would expect, because he isn't as pacey. Yet Newcastle are playing him there. Howe spoke about it after the match and said the reason he left him on for as long as he did was partly to do with dealing with set-pieces. Byrne did win a few headers, although obviously Newcastle conceded the first goal from a set piece when Byrne was on the pitch. I found it strange, though, that given the situation was there and given how didn't change things or Newcastle didn't change things, or if they did, it didn't seem to make any material effect to cover Dan Byrne, why didn't take him off earlier? I think the time was probably at half-time. I think sending him out again didn't necessarily work in that regard. And then not to take him off immediately after the penalty. I think think they were readying Kino Livermento on that stage. I think they had made the decision. But Kieran Trippier was even basically seemingly signalling to the bench to suggest that a change needed to be made because it wasn't quite working on the field. I think they'd realise the problem they had there. And and if Ogbeni's decision-making the final third had been better, Newcastle probably would have been further behind than they were. I think he'd beaten Byrne a few too many times. So there, there were quite a few different issues there. And, and as George said, there's tactical reasons why Byrne plays. But for whatever reason on Saturday, I think that either they needed to change something on the pitch to protect him or they needed to take him off because it just wasn't working and it was a clear weakness which was targeted. That's fair enough. Uh, right then, let's go over to some positives again, George. No. Oh, are we Hang doing on. this? Are we? The score's oh, now 2-2. Two, two. So it has to... Go- the- well, we've started, so we have to finish. All right, Magnus Magnuson, fucking settle down. Just on the second goal, before we go back to that, on, this, on the second goal, St. Anna were doing George's 
batshit way of doing this, but instead on the second goal, that was when I when I was mentioning the the midfield issues. That was where I think you see that you saw the real midfield issues that Newcastle have. George yes. briefly mentioned it earlier that basically Barkley has the ball in the middle of the pitch. Murphy tries to tackle him, then Longstaff comes in tries to get the ball. Can anyone tell me what Fabian Shares doing at that point as well? Yeah, because he's, oh, so sh- so he's on his holidays, out. isn't he? He's away. So that 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 is part of the issue with the way Newcastle are playing as well. Is in terms of the system that Newcastle have when they press forward, what tends to happen is because the midfield press high, a centre back will come out. Comes but out, when yeah. when it when it goes wrong, it goes very wrong. And and that was that was the prime example of it. Yes, you mentioned Chad, forgotten about that. Cher rushes out, and so he's out of position. Then Longstaff tries to flick the ball around Barkley. Barkley wins it back, gets to the edge of the area. Not only is Cher not back quickly enough, nobody follows Barkley, so he passes out to the left. There's a shot which Dubravka parries. Is it slightly harsh to say should maybe do better with it? Possibly. But Dubravka parries it back out. And then Barkley is still completely by himself and puts it in the goal. And I think that's, again, the issue that we have in midfield at the minute. Tracking runners. Should there be, The big debate is should there be should Newcastle actually have an out-and-out number six, which obviously they don't at the moment. That was a, another primary issue there. But, George, please go into point three of your batshit attempt at explaining this. Well, yeah, so we have to stay with the negatives because okay. to reflect the fact that Luton then went 3-2. All right, okay. okay. Okay, that's fine. Got it. So uh, perhaps Johnny King's first job as senior physio will be to install a revolving door in the treatment room. <laughs> it seems we're operating a one-in, one-out policy at the minute. Anthony Gordon, the latest to succumb. A twisted ankle may be better than a strained muscle, though. Yes, and him going off at halftime was obviously a, was a blow. He was good. He is very important to the way Newcastle play and I mean if, if we're talking about the sort of that idea of chaos and sort of heightened response to everything I was um I was standing by the dugouts after the match which is where you hang about to talk to players and up walks up hobbles Anthony Gordon up the steps mm. and he had his foot in a moon boot and he was on crutches and I tweeted out a picture which by the time I took it was the back of him saying this and honestly it's been looked at by something like two and a half million people this picture and the responses I mean they're deranged a lot of these responses it is like kill me now oh my god nothing ever goes right for us we're cursed we're cursed like that (laughs) to by the end people were then doubting whether it was actually Anthony Gordon this isn't Anthony Gordon this looks far more like Harvey Barnes I'm not I'm going to suspend judgment until and by which time Chris had asked you know, Chris. Chris had written a piece about Anthony Gordon being injured, and oh. and it was like I was having to say he 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 walked straight towards me. I do know what Anthony Gordon looks like, but maybe this is just football as a whole. But sort of as a fan base, I think we're sort of certainly conditioned to the being bad news about injuries yeah. this season because it is just like nonsense. It really, but is. also I think we still have a bit of that conditioning of. You know, when things are going great, we we're sort of absolutely unstoppable, and the momentum is you know incredible and beautiful. And but you know, when there's that momentum the other way, um, you know, it's it's bleak. It feels um, it's funny. You know, so Bobby always talked about the highs being higher at Newcastle and the lows being lower, and we do have that sort of emotional frenzy after matches, both good and bad. And yeah, that was the other. Anyway, yes. A twisted ankle. It didn't look good as he hobbled past. I have to say, he was he was walking very slowly. But a twisted ankle, you would think, would be better than anything to do with strains or snaps or yeah. anything like that. So let's let's see how let's see how he gets on in the next couple of days. He was photographed in the Metro Centre, which seems to be his favourite haunt of the northeast. Where he came on the day that he signed and had to get a lift off someone, I think, if I remember correctly. But anyway, in terms of when you mentioned the injury situation, because. Pot or shit, yes, yes. 
So the, Anthony Gordon actually started as a well through the middle as a false nine, as a striker, whatever you want to call it, because Alexander Isak was unavailable. Weirdly, at Jason Tindall's pre-match press conference, in the opposite of Eddie Howe, rather than just not saying that much about injuries, he made out as if there could be a chance Alexander Isak could be available, which was clearly never never going to be the case. So that was a- Eddie Howe subsequently come out as well and said he wasn't close. Which <laughs> <laughs> is great, isn't it? Yeah, but keeping the theme of you know keeping yeah. the theme of I love that. dark arts, not just on the pitch but off it too, yeah, with a little bit of... But George mentions how important Anthony Gordon was now to go back in time again to when it was uh, ones each. The, the the Newcastle's second goal comes from Anthony Gordon as well, actually coming wide or yeah. being as a striker, and the ball and he he basically makes the second goal. He 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 takes on his full back, runs through the entire length of, of, of the Luton half, shoots, and then the goal comes from Longstaff. That's what Anthony Gordon can do, and he's been so important to Newcastle from an end product point of view this season. So if he is out for any period, that would be a concern. Hopefully, it isn't too bad. As I said, the the the, the suggestion from this update from the Metro Centre was that he did have crutches around him but it wasn't wearing them at that point. It just was a bit sore yeah. and hopefully he'll be all right. So fingers crossed. There was a fabulous photo of Anthony Gordon with a small child and somebody blurred out the small child and replaced him with Matt Ritchie, which I thought was excellent. <laughs> Go in, Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, so so you you understand how we have to do. So it's now four three in terms of our positives and negatives, the good and bad. We're now at four three to. No, we're, no, we're not. It's, it's four two. It, it, it's going to be next four one's two be now. Four two. You've lost it um, completely here. I'm as befuddled as anybody in here. I was like, I was the only one holding this like incredibly laboured analogy in terms of good and bads together, and I've lost it. All right, so it's, so with four two, no, with three two. Jesus it's about Christ. to go to four two. Uh, so it's three two. Yeah, yeah uh, okay. one in, one out as well in terms of home and away success. It seems, George, should we have won? Well, I mean, it, uh, yeah, this is quite a confusing negative, isn't it? Because I've just said we've gone to three two um, to to Luton, so I have to take a step back. I think the thing is, it's like when you're approaching that game after the Aston Villa result. Yeah, you know, Newcastle suddenly feel like they've shown themselves to be an elite team in Eddie Howe's words after Villa. The expectation is, I hate that word, but the you know the expectation is that here's a game to be attacked against the team that's in the bottom three before kickoff. So in terms of those bigger picture things, yes, Newcastle should be looking to win that game. But the home and away thing, Chris has kind of already touched on that, that there's been this sort of strange reversal over the last few matches where Newcastle have got really good wins at Sunderland, at Fulham, at Villa, and then have struggled at home. But, you know, this was, as as Ollie, our producer, is saying in our running order, this was actually a good Luton team who've, who have momentum themselves. 
And when the score did go to four all, albeit there was like an incredible atmosphere around St James's, and he was just willing that for there to be a fifth, and Newcastle did have that brilliant chance right at the end. Yeah, Luton also had chances. They did. I suppose this is the point I was like making at the start about only ever looking at a match from one team's point point of view, which of course is what we do because we're all Newcastle fans. We want them to win. You know, they were in a good run of form, and they actually, I was very impressed with Luton. I thought they played. Uh, you know, they played really well. They had the best midfielder on the pitch in terms of Ross Barkley. I thought he was excellent. And sometimes you have to sort of recognise that it takes two to tango. I mean, there was absolutely no interest in defending from either team, was there? The, no, at that, that point. I was just I mean, out the window completely. But that's, but that's what I mean. And the game had descended into chaos. And so when you're... And, you know, it's not like saying uh, let chaos reign because that's not what it is. But when you've got adrenaline flying around, when you've got tired bodies and tired minds and they were just like sort of two punch drunk boxers by the end, weren't they? Just sort of trading blows with each other. I'm not sure I agree with that. I don't oh, think. I don't. Th- well, no, I, 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 I sort of, we had a conversation earlier with one of our editors and I was saying that part of the game felt chaotic, but actually the last 15 minutes, bar a couple of decent chances for either side, it wasn't like either side was was looked like they were going to score again. It, it was almost as if it settled at 4-4 and it, you expected Newcastle to go and it didn't. I thought at 4-4, I think both teams looked like they just went, oh, fuck, I've had enough of this. I can't keep doing this. This is too much. Yeah. And they just they just yeah, kind of yeah. backed off, didn't they, at 4 each? That was it. Yeah, because at that moment, you're you're sort of also, ter- you've got all those emotions going through your head and you're terrified of not, you know, because the, the mantra would always be, if you can't yeah. win, make sure you get a draw. Wouldn't, I mean, you know, get a point. Don't not get a point, but... You know there were still chances, but I, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, but in, but in terms of trying to trying to turn this negative into a positive, this was just the second time this season that Newcastle have actually rescued yeah. anything from a, a Premier League match. No, because this is the point that we make at the end in the positives, Chris. You're going ahead with your positives. We have to do this properly, right? We've gone to four two. To, so you shut up now. We've gone to four two to lose. We, we well, what I want to mention, if we're doing this ridiculous thing, is we've basically skipped by at the penalty itself, which. We spoke about Burn, but the penalty, weirdly, Eddie Howe, in terms of on his NUFC TV interview, was asked afterwards if he thought it was, you know, it seemed slightly harsh, which is bizarre in itself, because it was definitely, there was at least two fouls in it. Whether you think it was a penalty or not is questionable, but the second one was inside the box. But then the penalty itself was something I've never seen. I've never seen a retake for a penalty because the referee was facing the other way, <laughs> yeah. and the, the guy who took the penalty didn't realise that the referee... I don't know, what did he, did he hear the whistle? I don't really know. I exactly think there was a happened. whistle from the crowd, to be honest. Right. I think somebody in the crowd whistles and he thinks that's him being told to go. So he puts the The interesting in thing, something that Chris actually spotted, was that Rob Edwards then turned to his bench and pointed to his head as if, has the strike, you know, has, has his head gone? Will his head have gone? And in fact, he, he just he yeah. took exactly the same penalty, didn't he? Um, was brave that, so putting it in the same place. Yeah, I that, thought it was quite a brave, he, yeah. brave thing was. to do. Yeah, it was. So, so now we have to go to 4-3, okay? Yeah, is it. this uh, Absolutely marvellous for Harvey Barnes, George, to get his goal on his long-awaited return. And it was a canny strike as well. And he, he could have won the game as well, if not for a brilliant save. Yeah, I mean, just just a brilliant moment. And of course, you do get that lift before kickoff, seeing Wilson on the bench back for the first time for a little while. And Harvey Barnes, who we haven't seen since September the 24th. I mean, that is a very long time ago. Having those options to call upon are just so important. We've laboured over the point about how difficult it is to to hold on to games or to change games when you just don't have those options on the bench. But he he comes on and he gave everybody a lift. It was a really good cameo, I thought. And, you know, you saw little glimpses, exactly what he's supposed to be bringing to this team. If we go back to the dim past 
and you know why he was signed in the first place as Arsene Maximan's replacement. It was supposed to be about direct running. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be about getting goals, and we saw that. He's only started two games for Newcastle. We forget that, and I think the second game was at Sheffield United, which is when he came off, yeah. and he only lasted whatever it was, twelve minutes. So yes, just a really good positive thing to hold on to that and Wilson. You know, seeing those players come back and be part of the team was really positive. And yeah, they needed him. They needed him on Saturday. And in the in for that goal, the one thing I wanted to mention was I, I, I suggested that Newcastle's midfield was maybe it's a little bit lightweight or doesn't have that tackling ability without Julian, and it doesn't. But actually, Lewis Miley does brilliantly to win the ball for that. Excellent. He wins it off yeah. Ross Barkley high up the field. It comes to Harvey Barnes, and then on his weak foot as well. If you think he plays on the left, Harvey Barnes, but he tends to cut in his right. He just curls the lovely, lovely finish Absolute with his left foot and spoke afterwards. Chris, right along the grass. Oh, it was, it was it was brilliant. Right along the grass. <laughs> I like that. Um but he's he's someone who that Newcastle as George mentioned, they're they're they're, they're moved on Alan St. Maximan who can be a match win and could do different things because they wanted a more consistent supply of goals from the wide forward positions that what that's what Harvey Barnes does certainly last season you've seen it throughout his career he can bring goals and it's been such a frustration that Newcastle have been deprived of both him and Sandro Tonali the two big summer signings last season but yeah. now he is back hopefully he can take a bit of that goal scoring burden away from it and give Newcastle that extra option imagine a front three of Isak yeah. Barnes and Gordon or bringing one of them on and bringing Wilson on bringing Almron and Murphy on or vice versa I think that that's yes. options that George mentioned that's exactly Exactly what Newcastle need, and hopefully, hopefully, if Anthony Gordon's injury isn't serious, they can start to get something close to that in the next couple of weeks. So, just to confuse everyone as much as possible, the score in the game is now four-four, uh, but it is currently four-three in bad to good points. Correct. Uh, have, have we got this? Are we all right for, to go into the last point? Yes. <laughs> Good, right. It's a positive one. Uh, by crazy coincidence, George, this uh, podcast will be published on the 13th anniversary of the four-all draw with Arsenal. It's uh, strangely comforting to know that our football team still has a little bit of insanity coursing through its veins. And of course, that was what I was referring to at the start. By, of course it um, was, yes. Yeah, drop kicks on centre-forwards. We've had all these positives and negatives in the goal. Newcastle twice going ahead, twice being hauled back, and then that awful moment of seeing Luton take a two-goal lead and it's at that point you're sort of wondering how bad things might get and it was chaotic it wasn't good for long spells but they found a way to get back into the match now that's something that they've not been brilliant at this season because when they have conceded a goal they found it very difficult to come back into matches they just haven't been able to do it and so at 4-2 down of course you take four all and um it is a team full of character. It is a team that does have quality in it. And so I think you just have to sort of draw a line under that and say that that becomes a point gained from the position they were in in the match. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it from what we would have wanted at the start, but it could have been a lot worse. I think three weeks ago, Newcastle lose that game as well. I mm-hmm. think that that's the, if you think about just before Christmas, if you think about well, when they went to Luton and obviously were completely turned over there, when they lost at home to Nottingham Forest on Boxing Day, I think if this game is the end of December, start of January, Newcastle would lose. And they, they found a way to get back and draw. And they, they, they should have gone on and won it and didn't. And it's weird because you look at it in one sense, they've gained a point. They've actually dropped two points technically as well because they led twice. But it, it's it, to, to actually find a way to, re, to rediscover that, I do think 
that there are positives to take, particularly with Barnes coming back on, and particularly with the fact that Newcastle have shown they can attack. The, the issue is just how open they look at the minute, certainly at yeah. St James's Park, and that is that there are structural issues throughout the team. Now, I think you were meant to ask me about Debrav Curley. Again, I'm turning a positive into a negative, but that's what I do. All of these little things that we've mentioned previously, Dan Byrne at left-back, Cher running out from defence, the, the midfield balance. Another thing you can bring into the equation is, is the goalkeeper change, and I, I've spoken about it before, but but the fact that, that Dubravka is someone who tends to stay on his line, and when you don't have that, when Nick Pope isn't coming out and rushing and helping the defence, it means the rest of the team, there's either gaps somewhere or the defence can't be as high as they want to be, or if it is high, there's huge gaps for the likes of Ogbeni to exploit. And I think that one thing is just affecting the other at the moment there. And Eddie Howe, was, I thought it was interesting, he made a comment after the match. He was asked why things things are different. And, and he, he mentioned personnel, and he then even said himself, and it was almost like he was questioning himself out loud, he sort of said, and with different personnel, maybe we need to think about different solutions, which suggests that he's thinking about changing things around, because at the minute, because he hasn't got the starting 11 he necessarily wants, certainly in key positions, Joe Linton, uh, no centre forward right now, but also doesn't have Nick Pope, is he going to have to change system, is he going to have to change the way Newcastle play, that's very much sounded like he is contemplating that. I do think that is sort of important. I mean, in lots of ways, Dubravka has played really well He's um, since he's come back into the team in the sense of what he's good at, which is being a shot stopper. And, you know, that's that's largely what his skill line is. But also, we you know, you see the stats. Newcastle are allowing more shots than any other team in the Premier League at the minute, which shows that other parts of the team aren't functioning properly. That's not just down to the defence. It's about everything. Now, you know, Newcastle's first choice back five have played together, you know, in, in in various parts of the season. And it's not to try and say that results were all perfect then. But as soon as you take one person out of that, or as soon as you take a Joe Linton out of the team in midfield, for example, it makes the rest of the team behave differently and play differently. And so I do think that is a big thing that we sort of don't consider enough, that by changing one thing, something else changes, and then something else changes again. And I think Newcastle really have struggled with that. There's just been no consistency of uh, of personnel. There's been no consistency of options, and they've all then uh, suffered. So, what is the right thing to do in those circumstances? And I think a, a criticism you often get of managers is that there's no plan B. And I think it's been quite difficult for Newcastle to have a plan B when they haven't had a plan B in terms of players available. I mean, it's like, so So they've stuck to the system they have. He had been toying in recent weeks with going to back fives in matches. We saw that happen at Villa. He'd been toying with putting Fabian Scher into midfield at various points. It'll be very interesting to see what happens next because at the moment they are, they're, they're way too open. One of the team's great strengths was the opposite of that and they've lost it so perhaps it's time for a more fundamental rethink it is George and as you said before it's time to draw a line under that absolutely crazy game and it's also time to draw a line under possibly the strangest concept for a match review we've ever had Chris Van Nolan style inception football match within a football match I don't know about you two, but I'm absolutely knackered now trying to follow that. So let's move on uh, and have a little break and give everybody a chance to gather their thoughts. Addy Orchid.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So, on to Becky Langley's Newcastle United lasses. Uh, Becky got the War Flags treatment before kickoff, and she was delighted to see her team run out. Comfortable winners with two new sign-ins in the starting 11, George. Yeah, it was a lovely moment before kickoff. She hadn't known anything about it. It was a big sort of portrait war flag. I had a go of one of the war flags, by the way. Graham from War Flags was there, and he just handed me one of the flags beside the pitch. And now I understand why he's got such massive muscles because it was really heavy. <laughs> um, but I gave that away. That was great. And yeah, there was there was a lovely portrait of Becky's face, and then one of her quotes, which is, "If you believe you can do it, then why not?" which is really nice. Yeah, she hadn't been expecting that. And um, yeah, it was very important they got back to winning ways at home and they did so and they ultimately they did it emph- emphatically. It was a sort of cagey start to the match and Wolves were not walkovers, but ultimately it was a yeah, really good, really good win. Yeah, here's a little bit of audio from Becky as well. Yeah, it's a great team performance and to keep another clean sheet is really important. But yeah, it was an exciting performance from the team. I think the new additions did really well. So, you know, fantastic to see um, Beth and Paige and Leah make such an impact from the off. And yeah, as you said, Jasmine Quaid, what a finish that is. The first touch and then to hit that on the volley, you know, we were all really excited on the sideline. And yeah, I'm sure the fans enjoyed that one. Uh, so Leah Cataldo and Paige Bailey-Gale joined from Crystal Palace last week. Cataldo starred in defence, uh, but Paige Bailey-Gale made quite the impact at centre-forward with two goals. He has a great striker's response when asked if she could have hoped for any more on debut. Mm, God, I don't know. Maybe another one, but I can't complain. Two goals on my home debut, obviously, I'm... I'm chuffed, but really it was the whole team, you know. I can't just score a goal by myself. It was the um, team performance that helped me score, and obviously I'm happy to help the team get three points today. It's two contrasting finishes, one sort of from close range and another absolutely, I don't know how she did it. It was an absolutely brilliant turn and thrashed the ball in. Uh, really good. I mean, and this is one of the great things about the team. Obviously, this is what the men's team would love to be doing at the minute as well, but Newcastle can, Newcastle's women team, can buy players and they're buying players from a position of strength. They've brought a few players into the team and that just sends out such a message, uh, not only to the rest of the division, but obviously also to their own squad that nobody is guaranteed to keep their place in the team and everybody has to keep pushing and keep working. Quite the statement. Um, But yeah, what a debut. What a debut that was. And I think that was really ultimately the difference between the two teams. Um, was that sort of clinical side of it and Newcastle played a very very patient game they waited to take their to get their chances and then took them took them brilliantly yeah Jas McQuaid as well showing there's plenty of competition for places with another great strike after coming off the bench uh, the lasses have got Burnley away on Sunday and there's a third of the season left this is an absolutely massive game now George isn't it yeah, it's a huge one. Burnley, uh, uh, the team that's been breathing uh, down the back of their necks all season, a very good, uh, you know, very good opponents. Can't take anything for granted in this division. Just like last year, it's so tight. But yeah, Jasmine Quaid. I mean, her finish was again was absolutely beautiful. I'd urge people to have a look at that um, on the club website. And that's what you need. That's what you need from players who, if they're disappointed at not starting, if they're on the bench, you need them to come on and make an impact. 
and she she certainly did that. There were great performances across the pitch for Newcastle. Uh, Amber Keegan Stubbs, the captain, she was great, relentlessly uh, pressing the whole match. Spoke to her afterwards, friend of the podcast, of course. I said, "How are you doing?" Fucking knackered, she said. <laughs> but brilliant, and I just I love the energy about the team. Katie Barker, you know, as she always does in matches, tearing in from the from the wing with that sort of dynamism and pace and power. Fantastic. Just one little thing. I'm fingers crossed by the time um our next podcast comes around, um, I'll have uh, written this sort of inside the women's team piece, spending a week behind the scenes. It's actually taken a long much longer than that to put together. But speaking to people at all levels of the club about you know the ambitions and hopes for the for the women's team this season and beyond what it's been like to go full time this season just as to remind everyone they're the first team in the third tier of women's football to go full time it's made a massive difference not only to their lives but also to the to the way they play but they're you know they're serving as a standard bearer for women's football by doing that and so there's all eyes of them all eyes are on them in terms of women's football to see what happens to see if they can get promoted this season and I've just loved doing it I've loved hearing the kind of personal story as some of the women involved and yeah just how much of a buzz there is around the team really proud of them and it's just it's a fantastic season it's an exciting season there's loads more to come but we'll be hopefully hearing some of that in the podcast on on Thursday. Absolutely. So make sure you check out George's piece on the women's team when it drops. Uh, another thing to check out as well uh, this week, it's the first anniversary of Christian Atsu's death. And Adam Leventhal has been speaking to Christian's loved ones, including his fiance Claire and twin sister Christiana. It's not easy reading, but tremendous work by Adam. Uh, you can also listen to Adam's award-winning documentary on the Athletics Go Deeper podcast feed made with our former producer Adonis this time last year. It is a difficult read from Adam, but it's also a very important read and an emotional one. Um, I had tears streaming down my face as I was reading it. It's a year on from Christian Atsu's death. I, I knew Christian Atsu relatively well from when he was at Newcastle. I spoke to him after he left, and it was he was an absolutely lovely guy who has done so much for the community back in Ghana. They're, they're going to set up a foundation building on the charity work that he did, and I just encourage everyone to, to get involved if you can, because, it, yeah, it really was a very emotional piece and still still feels very raw that he's lost him last year. So Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one more thing, uh, or a couple of more things to, to get through before we finish off. England are going to be playing at St James's Park on Monday the 3rd of June versus Bosnia and Herzegovina. Chris, you're a lover of international football. I'm sure you'll be well up for this one. Big England head. Chris, oh, the, loves the it, podcast resident England, John Bull. England, England, come on. I don't want to start letting my emotions out because I don't think I'll be able to stop. I'm that excited about this, so I'm just going to... Chris has actually it. got St George's Cross face paint on right now as we're recording that. That's how excited he is about this England. Banging the drum or whatever it is they do in the... In the uh, is it a drum they have or is it a trumpet? What is it they've got? Banging the trumpet, yeah, Chris, that's what they do. <laughs> well, there's the England band. <laughs> the England band. It's the day before my birthday, that. I, I think it's... Yeah, it's look, Chris is going to be really negative about it because he's just a miserable sod, but... It's it's no, I think it's great they bring this in, James. No, I agree with that. Yeah, it? yeah, it's great. Is that it? <laughs> that was a brook, wasn't it? Was that a cat jumping on your table there? Yeah, sorry. Uh, one more thing to mention before we finish off, George. That war flags display before the Luton Town game. That's been getting a little bit of traction on social media, hasn't it? Yeah, we love war flags. They're absolutely brilliant. They've done such a huge amount and still and do a huge amount, game in, game out, to support the team, to get the atmosphere going before matches. 
And, you know, sometimes it's about players, sometimes it's about the team, sometimes it's about the city. And this time it was a bit different in the Gallagher end. And they were, you know, the, they were making a point about kickoff times in the week of green football weekend, in which it felt like kind of football is patting itself on the back a bit about sort of green initiatives. Now, there was, there was a campaign that allowed Newcastle fans to go to the match on public transport for free if they showed their season tickets. That's all, you know, that's all very well and good. But it comes at the end of a week that Newcastle had also had an 8.15 kickoff at Aston Villa, uh, a kickoff at 7 o'clock at Fulham, which made it absolutely impossible for Newcastle fans to get home on public transport. Yeah. And they were exposing the hypocrisy. They were also exposing just how nonsensical it is that Newcastle fans are having to go at these games. And there's, we're caught in this horrible trap where football broadcasters, they know that Newcastle fans will go to these games, come what may, and yes, fill in a way. And that's, that's because we've got absolutely brilliant fans who are desperate to watch their team. So they'll go anyway, but no thought is given to the inconvenience. And so, yes... So TV before football, as Warflag said, and then they listed some of the dates and kickoff times of recent matches. What, will anything ever happen about it? Who knows? But Warflag showed that, as well as being hugely supportive of the team and players and and the club, that they're prepared to campaign on important topics when necessary. Too, I thought it was a great statement and one I wholeheartedly agree with, largely because. Chris being a work-shy fool who refuses to travel across the Tyne made me go to both of those two matches. And I'm sure that was the point that Warflags were trying to make, George. Thanks for that. I mean, it did say... So, so it sort of said... It said Villa away, Tuesday, 8.15pm. Arsenal away, Saturday, 8pm. Chris Woff won't go south of the river. Must have missed that bit. Must have missed that bit. Fair enough. Uh, right, then let's finish off, lads. Uh, get in touch with us if you've got something you want to discuss. At Pod on the Tyne on Twitter uh, or X. Uh, and email us, podonthetyne at theathletic.com. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you, Chris Woff. Uh, you're welcome. And you're welcome to everyone out there who you thought Saturday's game was chaotic. Then just try and listen to this podcast and you'll be even yeah. more confused as to what the hell went on. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you very much, George. Corgan. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, we got sort of, it was pretty clear that sort of our last podcast at the end of the window, my performance was fairly deranged. <laughs> I was hoping that <laughs> that this could be a sort of reset, a reboot. Um, More of the same, really. Just as with Eddie Howe's Newcastle, it hasn't quite happened yet. So I'd like to apologise for the deranged, chaotic, messy nature of this podcast which in many ways replicates for all against Luton Town if you say so uh, right and that's it thanks very much for listening uh, this has been Pod on the Time have a good week take care of yourselves and we shall speak to you later on in the week bye Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.